0: Gospel of John chapter 5, we're going to read the first nine verses and uh, we didn't make it out of verse 1 last week and we won't make it out of verse 2 this week, uh, only uh, the difference is I know that uh, now. Uh, verse 1 of John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there, now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down in a certain season into the pool, And troubled the water, and whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, "'Wilt thou be made whole?' The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. While I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. We'll stop our reading there at that portion of Scripture. We left off with our Lord attending the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. We saw Him coming into Jerusalem and we looked at all that teaches that, how we have a place that we're to appear before the Lord. And we're also, as the book of Deuteronomy chapter 16 said, we are not to come empty-handed ourselves. And so we want to turn our attention to the next verse. And we want to observe the place. Again, the place or the location of the work that Christ did. In verse 2, we have a description of this place. First of all, it's called Jerusalem. He's at Jerusalem. He's by the sheep market. There's a pool there, and the pool is called Bethesda. And that, that pool has five porches. So we're going to look at this this morning. And we want to examine the place and the location of the work of the Lord. Every, every word being inspired by the Spirit of God. First of all, Jerusalem. It says, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool. We find that the Lord comes to the city of Jerusalem, and the city of Jerusalem had grown like most cities do in our day. I uh, have gone down sixty, and I've taken it all the way uh, over, you know, and it curves and it goes. And but you go down there, and I've had different people tell me. I remember when all this was, was you know just. It was used for farming or groves and things of that nature, and I just don't see it. Uh, but it's packed now, isn't it? And Brandon and Valrico, they've kind of merged together. It's kind of first time we went over to Melbourne, Florida. We got out of Kissimmee, and you didn't so much as blink, and you were in St. Cloud. I thought there's no relief. You don't get any any relief of this traffic. It's, it's just ridiculous. While Jerusalem had grown, it had started out rather small. David had built it up there with uh, his own house and preparing the material to build the temple. Solomon had built it and the city had grown. And it was much larger in the day in which Christ was on the earth than it was uh, when David lived there, when he had built his house. But we find that this city, and I would encourage you to look up on a map and see a layout during the time of Christ. And If you have a book with those things or if you want to get on the computer, you'll see a great deal of things. And all the maps that I look at, the uh, sheep gate or the sheep pool, uh, the sheep market, and then this pool, Bethesda, is located in the northeast corner of Jerusalem. And we find here that the Lord had returned from Cana of Galilee. You can look in chapter 4. Again, the Bible tells us that He had come up for the Passover, and then He left. And this is uh, 50 days later. He's coming back. So here He was in verse 46 of John 4. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where He had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And we find that he does a miracle there. And the Bible tells us, verse 1 of chapter 5, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So he's come up to the city of Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has seen fit to indicate to us the location in which this miracle that he would do took place. It was done not on the road to Jerusalem. It was not done in another village or in a city, but it was done in the very city of Jerusalem, and the name Jerusalem is City of Peace. That's very significant, because again, remember, all names have a, a meaning in Scripture. You know, we, like our kids, we picked out names because we liked the way it sounded, and I'll be doggone if... Uh, my wife and I, we talked as so we couldn't imagine them being a different name. But we think about these things, and yet all these names are very specific in Scriptures. Now you look here, and the place that God, uh, that this miracle was done, was the place that God had chosen to set His name in. Let's run some Scripture and look at this. Turn over, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 14. 1 Kings chapter 14. Again, the city of Jerusalem, meaning city of peace. We find that this was the place that God would set His name in. It's the place He had chosen. And if you remember, it is very important, uh, we have noted the name of God. In fact, Brother Crowder just brought out recently how that David said that he would remember the name of the Lord there in the 119th psalm in verse 55 and how that that was very significant to remember the name of the Lord because when the name of the Lord speaks of who He is it speaks of His person and His being His attributes and all that God is. When you say someone's name and you refer to them and folks go, oh, well I know who that is they have an idea who you're talking about everything about them their physical characteristics, their demeanor, their personality, all of those things. And so when we say the Lord's name, it includes all of this. And God said, this is the place where I am going to set my name at. In 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 21, the Bible tells us, it says, and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was forty and one years old when he began to reign. And he reigned seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Nama and Ammonitis. Now you don't there in the significance how that the scriptures tell us that Jerusalem was a place where God would sit His name. It would be a place where God would, uh, He would be worshipped. It would be the place where uh, He would display a great deal of His power and glory and honor and majesty and these things. Let's look over in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And let's read verse 12 here as well. And again, the Bible tells us that it was the place that God had chosen. And it's an amazing thing to see this wonderful truth. And you can look down through Scriptures and you'll see, and you and I know this as well, that uh, there was a place years and years ago before this where uh, Abraham offered Isaac atop Mount Moriah. And you know where that was located? Right there outside the city gates. It was a place where God commanded Abraham. He said, I want you to take Isaac to a mount. And I'm going to show you, this is a place, and I'll show it to you, and you're going to offer your son there. Here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and verse 12, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and have chosen this place to Myself for an house of sacrifice. So again, this was the place that God had chosen. It was not something where man said, well, let's do this here. That's the way a lot of men do things today when it comes to worshiping and serving God. They don't go to the place where God has set His name. They go to a place and they think that God will accept just any old service and sacrifice. But this was not the case, was it? Look over in the 78th Psalm. Psalm 78. And you think about this, out of all the cities, and I'm sure there were some wonderful places where God could have uh, set uh, the tabernacle and set the temple and had a house of sacrifice and a place of worship. You know, Jerusalem was not really centrally located, was it? It was kind of, it was more, we know it was in the southern tribes, but it wasn't smack dab in the middle. And you know, you look at where our capital is as a nation, and where is it at? Well, it was originally in the middle of 13 colonies, wasn't it? They thought, well, let's put it in the middle. When it came to God's people, they had to put it where God told them to. Now, in Psalm 78, notice verse 68. We'll read here. It tells us, it says, But chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like high palaces like the earth which he hath established forever. Again, we're seeing here that this is the place that God has chosen. It's the place that he decided upon. Look over in the 87th Psalm. Psalm 87, verse 2 and verse 3. Here we find, again the Bible speaks of, and let's go ahead and read verse 1. uh, Psalm 87, verse 1. It says, His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God, Salem. So we have, we know there's the heavenly Zion. We know Jerusalem is the negative of the earthly Zion. But this is that place that God would set his name in. It's the place where he chose for sacrifice and worship to be. And there God would magnify Himself. And He would exalt Himself as He had done in no other place. Now you look and read in some Scriptures. And turn over with me and I want to look at Hebrews chapter 13 and notice that God exalted Himself there at Jerusalem as He had no other place before. In fact, it was down the same site where Abraham offered Isaac, where God the Father would offer His only begotten Son. It was in that same location. We find that the the temple and the mountain was built in that, that area. We find that just outside the city gates of Jerusalem on a place called Golgotha where God would offer His Son for the remission of our sins. No wonder it's called the city of peace because it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can have peace with God. Now, humanly speaking, Jerusalem has been a city of great turmoil, a place of warfare where it has been besieged more times than I can count. But it still holds the name the city of peace because of what would take place and for you and I what did take place there. The offering of Jesus Christ as our peace offering. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 10 it says here we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. In the Old Testament, they would take the sacrifices, and Jerusalem was to be a holy city uh, set apart for God. And so all that was refuse, all that was considered to be dung, all that would be unholy and unsanctified, including the carcasses of the sacrificed animals, they would take it without the city and they would burn it without the city. Or if it was burnt, they would take the ashes from off the altar and they would take those without the city and they would dispose of them there. Well, Christ, in order to sanctify us, there He was offered just outside the city gates in like fashion. there we find the place and the location of which the greatest work has ever been done, the work of our redemption. There God magnified Himself. You know, it wasn't just the Shekinah cloud of glory that would come down in the temple during the reign of Solomon, but more so it was God Himself incarnate in the flesh paying our sin debt when He was crucified on the tree of the cross. That is the most magnified and exaltation of the name of God. When we look here in John, if you would, turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Here we find the Lord Jesus. And you look here in the Gospel of John in a great deal of the Gospel of John speaks about a short period of time dealing with the the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The majority of this book, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the majority of the Gospel of John deals with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here in chapter 12, We see Christ has already come into Jerusalem and He's speaking about the hour is upon Him. And in John chapter 12 and verse 23, we'll begin reading here, Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Now notice verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Here we find that the Father was going to glorify His name. The Son would be glorified. We find this was going to take place when Jesus offered Himself for our sins. When He became sin, He who knew no sin became sin for us, He would exalt the name of God as it had never been done before. So this is the place that He had come to, this Jerusalem. Well, today, we have a place that we're to come and exalt His name also. Bible says in Ephesians 3 and verse 21, unto Him be glory in the church. World without end. That means the church is a place where He's to be glorified. It's not the place where we come and exalt our own names. It's the place we come and exalt His name. And not only is it a place, it is also a place where we go out from proclaiming the name of the Lord God. The Bible says this name that is declared and exalted is none other than the name above all names. It is the name whereby you must be saved. That is the Lord Jesus. Now this is that city, the city of Jerusalem. And He had come to this place in chapter 2. We find as well that there is mentioned a sheep market or a sheep pool, or I'm sorry, a sheep gate. Verse 2 of John chapter 5, it says, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market or the sheep gate a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now, this sheep gate is of great significance. I'd like you to turn over to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. And we'll read here in verse 1, and then again in verse 32. Now there were several gates for the city of Jerusalem. And every gate had a specific purpose. And every name of that gate speaks to us of something very significant in the plan, in the purpose, and the service of God. I'm not going to go through all the gates. I'm going to just show here in the book of Nehemiah that we have the Sheep Gate. There are some other gates as well. And Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 1, Then Eliashib the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the Sheep Gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it. Even under the Tower of Mia, they sanctified it under the Tower of Hananiel. Now skip over, if you would, to verse 32. It says, and between the going up of the corner unto the sheet gate, repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. And then you can skip all the way to chapter 12 of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 12. And we'll read here in verse 37. <coughs> Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 37 will show here that there were other gates. Nehemiah 12 and verse 37 says, And at the fountain gate, which was over against them, they went up by the stairs of the city of David, at the going up of the wall above the house of David, even unto the water gate eastward. And the other company of them that gave thanks went over against them, and I after them and the half of the people upon the wall from beyond the tower of the furnaces, even unto the broad wall. And from above the gate of Ephraim, and above the old gate, and above the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, the tower of Mea, even unto the sheep gate, and they stood still in the prison gate. So stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God, and I and the other half of the rulers with me. So you find here there are multiple gates. In fact, there's some others uh, throughout the book of Nehemiah that when Israel came back in the land of Israel, they had to rebuild the city, and they had to rebuild the walls, and they had to rebuild all the gates. Now our text tells us, and it puts us in a specific location up there in the northeast corner of Jerusalem by the sheep gate or the sheep market. Now, this was the place where the animal sacrifices would be brought in to the city of Jerusalem, and they would be brought there, and then they would be taken and moved down to the temple and be offered as sacrifices. Now, you and I might say, well, what need? Why do they need a gate? Why couldn't they just bring them in through the front door? And why is it a sheep gate? Well, the sheep were the predominant animal of sacrifices for the children of Israel. I'd like to show you this if you turn over to 1 Kings chapter 9. The book of 1 Kings chapter 9. And we're seeing all of these things, and we look and we'll tie all of these things in together here just momentarily. But in 1 Kings chapter 9, and this was, if you would, the in, in a short time, uh, when they were offering, they were dedicating the temple. Give me just a second. I'm sorry, chapter 8. First Kings chapter 8. I said 9. That's what I have written down, but I meant chapter 8. Verse 62. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 62. Here they are. They dedicated the temple. Now they're going in and they're offering sacrifices. It says, And the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered unto the Lord, two and twenty thousand oxen and a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. That's a lot of sheep. And it wasn't just the sheep that came through that gate. But that was the predominant animal that they would use. It says here, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. And that was just when they dedicated it. You keep reading here in verse 64. It says, "...the same day did the king howl the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord..." For there he offered burnt offerings and meal offerings and the fat of peace offerings. Because the brazen altar that was before the Lord was too little to receive the burnt offerings and the meal offerings and the fat of the peace offerings. And at that time Solomon held a feast in all Israel with him. A great congregation from the inner of Hamath and the river of Egypt. Before the Lord our God seven days and seven days, even fourteen days. And on the eighth day he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went into their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had done for David his servant and for Israel his people. Can you imagine that? That they couldn't even sacrifice because all the fat and all the offerings that were to be given unto them, they ran out of room that they had to go out into the middle court and they had to set that apart for that purpose also. Here they were offering these offerings unto the Lord. And the sheep were the predominant animals, they were the predominant sacrifices. But as you and I know, not one single of these animals or their blood could actually take away sin. Paul wrote in Hebrews 10, and verse 4 he said, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. In Hebrews 10, he went on to say, Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. These animals, these sheep, and the sheep gate was for the purpose of ushering in that which would picture the Lamb of God which would take away the sin of the world. Is it, is it any, you think it's happenstance that John records in the city of peace about the sheep market? I don't think so. Our hearts and minds are to be drawn to that peace comes through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that there is no peace with God apart from the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you probably are familiar with this, but the Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We find as well in the book of Colossians chapter 1, Paul writing and he said in verse 20, Colossians 1.20, "...and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven." You see, the Scriptures declare unto us that peace was made by the death of the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God. And this connection is made. Christ comes in. And right there at Jerusalem by the sheep market or the sheep gate, and the very shadow of it, He's going to perform this great miracle. But There's another and a greater miracle, and that is the pardon and forgiveness of sins. You see, it is the true Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist spoke to the religious leaders of his day and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And I I, I need to put before each and every one of us a question this morning. Has Jesus taken away your sins? Have your sins been washed away by the blood of the Lamb of God? Has Christ Jesus taken, as the word uh, taken away signifies, has He taken and carried off your sin? You see, in the Old Testament, they had a sacrifice, and they had a scapegoat. And they would confess the sins upon the animal, and it would be sacrificed, and they would have the scapegoat, they would confess the sins upon the scapegoat, and the scapegoat would... Take a fit man, an able man, would lead that goat out into the wilderness never to be seen or heard from again. Have your sins been taken away by Jesus Christ? Have they been confessed and placed upon Him and removed from you never to be seen or heard from again? Because I want to tell you, if they haven't, then they're still abiding upon you. And if your sin is abiding upon you, the wrath of God is abiding upon you and you are already condemned. Has Jesus in His sacrifice paid your sin debt? Has His blood that has flowed, as we sing that hymn sometimes, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Has that blood drawn from His veins, cleansed and purified you of every sin stain. Though your sins be as scarlet, have you been made white as snow? And though they be red like crimson, have you been made as wool by the blood of Jesus Christ? Look over in Hebrews 10 and we'll read beginning at verse 11. Hebrews chapter 10. You see, these two things, there was no Sheep Gate apart from Jerusalem. And in order, as we see here, this was a way in which to get into the city of Jerusalem or into the city of peace was by the Sheep Gate. Well, you can't have peace with God apart from the Lamb of God. In Hebrews 10 and verse 11, again we we look here and it says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, this man, this Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, and what was that sacrifice for sins? It was himself. You read back in verse ten, where it says, "By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all." Verse eleven or verse twelve: By this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, he had offered his own body. He forever sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Amen. Have you been perfected by the blood of Jesus and his offering and his sacrifice? Because if you're not, you're going to be just like the man in Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar's son or grandson, or his relation, he was king, and the hand came and it wrote on the wall, Mene, mene, tackle, you Pharisee, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Are you found wanting right now? Are you lacking the saving blood of Jesus Christ? Do you lack peace with God? You see, this is the need that you and all of us have had for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all stand in need of being cleansed and being saved. And it is only by coming into contact through faith, by grace through faith in His blood that you'll find your sins remitted. You see, every sinner that has come to Christ has been saved from their sins. And every sin stain has been made white as snow. That's the power of His blood. That every sinner and every sin of every sinner that's come to Christ, He has cleansed every one of them thoroughly and perfectly. I say this, you can read and we're right there, so let's just turn back to Hebrews chapter 4. Well, i tell you what, before the Lord saved me, this was a disturbing verse, but now it does not disturb me. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. God sees you as you truly are. You think about that. There's no masquerading who you are. There's no covering it up. He sees you as, as it describes it here in this fashion. All things are naked and open unto His eyes. He sees the contents of your heart and He sees the very imagination and thoughts that you have. And that concerned me until the Lord saved me. And it doesn't concern me anymore. Because every bit of sin, he saw it and he purged it out. You know, doctors today and they have to conclude, they say, Well, we think we got it all. Go in there to remove a cancer. They go in there to remove some disease or something. Do a procedure. They don't see everything, do they? Oh, but the Lord saw it all. And the Bible says, based on the authority of the Word of God, He has perfected us forever. Every sin stain He cleaned out. Beloved, if you're here this morning and you have not peace, you have not your sins been taken away by the Lamb of God, may this be the hour, may this be the day. Because you're never going to enter into a city of peace except you go by the Lamb of God. So as we look and we examine this and we Take further looks. You know, Jesus said, He told the Jews of old, in His day, He said, you need to search the Scriptures. In fact, it's later on in chapter 5. He says, you need to search the Scriptures for they speak of Me. Well, we just showed two things. The city of Jerusalem and the Sheep Gate speak of Christ. It all speaks of Him. This book, is about Christ and He has been lifted up before you today as the only Savior. And we pray that the, the Lord would draw you and bring you unto Him in faith believing. While we stand as the song leader comes, again if the Lord has spoken unto you, we invite you to come and share with us what He's laid upon your heart. What number shall we sing? H. Two
1: hundred and twenty one. Love lifted me. Page 221 in your hymnal. One verse. I was sinking deep in sin Far from the peaceful shore Very deeply stained within Sinking to rise no more But the master of the sea Heard my despairing cry. From the water lifted me. Now save and mine. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help,
0: love lifted me. All right, remember our services tonight at five thirty. We'll have, meet for prayer band, and then we'll have the evening preaching service tonight at six o'clock. Be in prayer for me. We're starting a, uh, a short uh, series, four or five messages. So you be in prayer, Lord would help us as we. Uh, break open the Word of God. Let's bow our heads go to the Lord in prayer. Brother McDonald, would you dismiss us in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come to
1: this country. Thank you for your blessing and us. Amen. We're more than grateful than we should be for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. one are going to go other way. Father, do pray if there's any anonymous today that has yet to trust Christ. We pray that you might their hearts and save them and use them in your service. To ask from us today, that you might rest. all back Forgive us now of our sins, ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>